Yo, first and foremost, I want to take the time to thank you for joining me for the Conscious Thought Podcast. This is your host, your boy Big Mike, uh, tuning in for the very first episode of the Conscious Thought Podcast. Um, To be quite honest with you, this has been a large labor of love for me, Um, just because this idea of starting a podcast has been something that I have been plotting, planning, trying, failing, retrying for probably the past couple of years, to be honest. Um, And also, this is from suggestions from so many of my friends, co-workers, random people who I may bump into, um, who has either heard the sound of my voice and said that I should do a podcast. Um, so I'm taking an idea and I'm going to run with it because hell, if enough people can say the same thing, suggest the same thing, you know, maybe there may be something there for me to try. So with this podcast, um, as many of you may have seen already, because you've probably joined my Instagram page for it, which is the thought, the the conscious thought pod dot dot pod, excuse me, the the conscious thought dot pod is the Instagram page, and there you may have kind of already perused and you know kind of get a lay down of what we do be doing in this podcast. But in case you haven't joined as of yet, shame on you. Go ahead and join now. <laughs> but just to give you a rundown, I'm kind of just you know giving my conscious thought, and that could be on pretty much any topic underneath the sun, whether it's something that I may be an expert in, something that I have very little knowledge about, but um, we know want to learn more of. Or, you know, it's just a question or a idea and you just kind of want a second opinion or, you know, an outside view, you know, then that's what I'm here for. So that's why very shortly I'm going to be opening up the Instagram page a little bit more for anybody who's joined and listens to give ideas or suggestions or uh, topics you may want to hear, you know, my conscious thought on but for this inaugural episode of the podcast the first topic that we're actually going to go through is black fatherhood um if you're listening to this which means you know that i've dropped this episode on father's day so um why not talk about black fatherhood since you know i am black father uh currently a father of three beautiful children two beautiful princesses one handsome prince and, you know, raising them, you know, they're still young. My oldest is eight years old. My middle child is three. And my youngest, my boy, is just turned one. So kind of new to this. Um, granted, I have always mentored kids throughout my life, um, whether that be through church or some sort of program. And, of course, I do have my beautiful goddaughter who I've been watching since she was a baby. Um, and now she is about to be 17 (laughs) and going off to college. So (laughs) you can kind of see where I'm a little bit of nerve wracked with that because now she's going to start getting into territory of dating and boys and yeah, I don't got time for that. Um, (laughs) in fact, let me go practice in my aim right now because some of these dudes out here is is, a little trife, they're a little trife, (laughs) but being a black father is very integral to the black community. Um, to be quite honest with you, black fatherhood has been very much lacking um, in the black community for a while now, and there are various reasons for it. Some systematic, 
some just based on the individual, but I still want to touch on the subject because I feel like it's very important to get a perspective on black fatherhood and what's best to do that then from a black father. So that'll be our very first episode. And we're going to touch on some different things within that topic. But, you know, the first thing I kind of want to break down is what is fatherhood? Um, to me, fatherhood, of course, if you want to go with the actual definition of it, it's just being a male who is raising parents in some sort of, you know, habitat, whether that be in a two-parent household, co-parenting households, or, you know, you may be actually a single father. Um, but it's basically taking your offspring and nurturing them, instilling values and morals and ethics and hopes and dreams and love, and then sending them out into the world to prosper under the, you know, of course, underneath your guidance, because your kids can be as old as they want to. There's always going to be your kids. You're always going to look out for them until, you know, the day you die. So it's just making sure that they are set with the tools that they need to be successful. Um, and I feel like fathers bring a different perspective of raising kids than mothers would, which I think is how the dynamic should be. They each should, you know, provide some sort of, you know, lesson that they can take in life that only can be given from that individual's perspective. So a woman can give certain things from a woman's perspective that her kids can take, and a man can give another perspective that their kids can learn from as well. They should learn to also take both. Um, it's not listening to one side or the other. It's, you know, more of an expert or not an expert, but taking the issue of your parents' values, melding them into something cohesive for you, and then, you know, going on in life with those lessons. Kind of, that's kind of how I was raised. Um, but you may hearken to the question next is, well, what's the difference between fatherhood and black fatherhood? funny you should ask <laughs> i feel like black fatherhood is kind of different than that because as also being a black man in america you also have to learn to instill other kinds of lessons into your kids that just other kids around who aren't african-american may not have to deal with um how to deal with interactions with law enforcement um how to conduct yourself in an environment that may not be um, too receptive to who you are based on your, you know, the color of your skin. Um, and it's just, you know, those nuances like that that you kind of also have to prepare your children for um, so that way they can also navigate this very, very uh, racially biased, uh, racist-motivated uh, world we live in. So I feel like there are lessons in life through black fatherhood that you teach your kids um, that, you know, will kind of benefit them in the long run. But, I mean, black fatherhood to me, you know, just kind of also, you know, piggybacking on my own words, is, again, preparing your kids for not just life, but life as an African-American. Um, and to me, it will always be that I want to make sure my kids are never put into... Um, situations that can cause them harm based on their, their skin tone um, and making sure that they're able to thrive in a society that actively tries to keep the black man and the black woman down um, as well as divided. So it's kind of to also teaching them um, certain mindsets of, um, you know, how to discern 
what's in your best interest versus who's not. Um, being able to separate yourself from, you know, your emotion. Being able to look at things from both a logical standpoint, but also leading with your heart as well. Because, honestly, people try to divide the two, saying one's more important than the other. I think all is, I think both are very much needed. You kind of just have to weigh, you know, which one you need to go with based on the situation. And, I mean, it's a skill set that I feel like, as a black man who, at oftentimes, is, you know, maybe a slave to his emotions just out of... The inability to temper them, um, not understanding them, it's, you know, something that I feel like, you know, you can teach, especially as a black man teaching his black son. Um, so that's kind of just what, you know, black fatherhood is for me. But I guess I've had a good example to learn from. Um, as a black boy growing up in a two-parent household, my father was always present, um, to which case I know a large demographic of um, people out there may not have had that luxury just because out of circumstances, but um, I never took it for granted, and I tried my best to learn from my father because while he may not have been a perfect man, because who is, he was a man who always strived to do his best in any situation that he was in. Um, but kind of give a little bit of a backstory about my dad. Um Born and raised in South Carolina, Walterboro, to be exact. Um, my father met my mother um, when, I won't say young, but after he came home from war, because um, my dad is a veteran, fought in Vietnam, in the Army, Purple Heart, because um, he did survive a whole helicopter crash. <laughs> um, that's a whole other story for a whole other day, though. But, you know, came home from war, met my mother, and they settled down and had me. And growing up in a two-parent household, I had, of course, the benefit of learning from both my mother and my father with different aspects of life, just paying attention or actually sitting down and having, you know, talks and discussions with me. Um, but I always just paid attention to my dad because he, again, is the male example to which I set myself up for as far as how I want to be a black father. Because, I mean, at a pretty young age, I knew I wanted to, you know, be a dad have kids, you know, family, the whole shebang. So, you know, what best than not to learn from, you know, an actual father who is in my house. Um, to which case, growing up, I mean, as a child, you kind of don't have a true understanding of what your parents do. Um, if they kind of, if they've raised you in the manner they're able to, where they're kind of able to keep a lot of the vices of the world from your purview for as long as possible and, you know, just making sure you had a healthy environment to grow up in, um, then, you know, they feel like, I, feel, I felt like, you know, he did a good job. But again, as a kid, you kind of don't understand or are able to contextualize, you know, some of the sacrifices you make as a parent. Now, me being a parent, I 1,000% understand. Um, for instance, I kind of never knew why my dad uh, never really... I was never really attended, but whenever I had a football game, karate um, demonstration, any little thing at my school, you know, he kind of was always absent. And as a child, I grew up with a weird understanding of, well, damn, why does Pops not show up for these stuff? Does he not care? Does he not, 
you know, want to contribute. So I actually grew up with that mindset that, well, he just doesn't really care. Um, but like I said, as a child, you don't know. You're not able to contextualize it. But as an adult, I realized very, very quickly that, oh, it's not the fact that he doesn't want to be here. It's the fact that he wants to ensure that I can continue to do these things. And to do so, you sacrifice your personal wants and needs by spending more time at work. That way you can make more money. That way you can put more bread on the table. And that way, you know, your child has the ability to live out their dreams and to do what they want to do. Um, and it's when I got older, I realized that he was very much proud of all the things that I did. And he very much wanted to always be there, but couldn't. And it happens, you know. As a parent, you want to be at every game, every recital. You want to be a part of every activity, sharing all the memories you want. But in a society where we live in that's very capitalist, you know, uh, consumer-driven, um, to get these nice things, you have to pay for them. And to pay for them, you have to work. And until you're able to work for yourself and be your own boss, you're a slave to someone else's time. Um, so you sacrifice those personal wants of wanting to be there for your kids and be in every activity to go to work, make money, to put on the table, to make sure they can keep doing these things. So I think it's very important because I think this is the one disconnect that kind of made me held onto that mindset for as long as I did. But nobody ever really explained it. Um, talk to your kids. Explain to them that, hey, it's not the fact that mommy or daddy doesn't want to be there. If you want to continue to do these nice things, have these nice things, be a part of these nice organizations and activities, then I got to go to work. And unfortunately, that would mean that I can't be present to see you do these things. Hopefully one day I can. Hopefully I can work enough or, you know, save up enough or put myself in a better position to have that free time to then be a part of those things. But for the time being, mommy or daddy has to go to work. And, you know, it's a sacrifice that I have to make. But I will do so willingly and gladly if it's to ensure that my kids have, you know, the opportunity to be a part of the, you know, the most. To learn the most. To have the most life experiences. Because I believe that does nurture the soul uh, pretty, pretty well. Now... Being the fact that I again grew up in a black household, you know, two parent, um, that's what I also strive for my kids. I want them to be in those sort of kind of same dynamics that I was in to have the same opportunities. But, you know, having children and being a father kind of has, you know, been a journey. <laughs> um, I remember when I first found out about Michaela. The first thing that I thought in my head was, I'm about to be a dad. I was about, okay, that's what, eight years old? I'm 30, like 25. Um, it's around that age. Um, semi done with college, but really no strong finances. Uh, about to be living with a roommate. And bam, I'm about to be a dad. So immediately my mind was saying, I need to make bread because <laughs> kids ain't cheap. <laughs> Again, 
even though I technically was a father when Michaela was born, I have also been help raising or rearing or nurturing my goddaughter as well. And seeing what her mom goes through as far as, you know, providing, I already knew, yeah, I got to have some money. Um, so it made me, like, focused. And I guess I never realized prior to being a dad that I was kind of aimless. I was wandering. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no sort of ambition, really. And, you know, I was just living from, you know, day to day. But when your focus immediately shifts because you know that now there's life on the way. And once this, you know, child comes into this world, they're under your responsibility. Which forces me to think I need to get my shit together. Because if I don't have my shit together then this child's going to end up in bad situations or worse situations. And I wasn't raised that way. Granted, even if I was raised that way, if I knew that I had a hard time growing up, if I knew that I didn't have the most, I didn't, you know, have the best opportunities, and I know that I always wanted that for my child, then I'm going to do what I have to do to make sure they get better. Because that's what you also should strive for as a parent, to do or to provide better for your kids. Um, Never should be, you know, all you, you, I dealt with this, you dealt with this, you're going to deal with this too. It's like, nah, if I grew up eating, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, then you're going to grow up never knowing what that is like. Um, if I grew up only having, you know, one pair of good shoes in my name, then you're never going to know that growing up because I want more for you. At least that is, again, the mindset that a parent should have. But the moment I found out about Michaela, um, which is my oldest, I, again, went to go mode. I started looking for jobs. I will work anywhere. I work as many hours. Didn't take, didn't matter. I just wanted to provide. And as well, um, when I realized that um, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, was pregnant, um, I was like, I don't want you away. I was living in North Carolina. She was in South Carolina. And the thought of that distance, not being able to be there, not being able to help her out, uh, didn't sit right with me. So next thing I did was move her from South Carolina to North Carolina with me. Um, so I asked my roommate, uh, Wink, you know, for the biggest favor that I think any man um, could ask for. <laughs> and for the fact that he looked out for me, I will always be internally grateful. So Wink, you my dog like for life but talked to my roommate he wink was like no i understand you know do what you gotta do i got no problem with it we'll split the bills out here split the bills so moved her up there with me and we lived up there together throughout her pregnancy and bada bam michaela was born um and <laughs> you know most cliche thing you can do will say is when his child was born, he cried and it was beautiful, but now I, I wept like a baby. Um, when I held that child in my hand, I felt both immediate joy as well as a sense of heaviness. Like, it just made me realize how... can't really contextualize it it's like weird. it's a feeling of i'm holding the most important thing in my hands and i need to do everything in my in my power to provide and protect 
and that's what I did. So for about the first six months of her life, Michaela lived with us in North Carolina, and then ultimately we moved back down to South Carolina because it was just being close to the family um, and also just being close to a very helpful uh, village. Um, honestly, because the whole saying, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, it's very much true, not just from a sense of, you know, somebody to watch a kid, but, you know, placing them in the company of those that you also were raised with, who can also instill good values into them are very helpful. And as well, it provides a different perspective, broadens their mind, and it's just overall beneficial. Now, if you're in the situation to do that, do so. If you can't rely on the many people around you, then, you know, do what you got to do. Uh, but I had a good safety net for myself, so I was blessed and fortunate with that. But pretty much, I still continue to grind. Um, I want the best for my child, and I began, you know, working jobs, you know, starting out in retail, did security, and then started doing, like, technical support for various other types of, like, uh, tech companies. But, you know, I just, it it provided a sense of motivation in me that, I never would have had in life if I didn't have my child. And I think that's very sad because as, uh, you know, knowing how enterprising that I can be, how, you know, if I put my mind to it, I pretty much can, you know, accomplish what I want to accomplish. It took the life of my daughter coming into this world to propel me towards, you know, where I am right now. Um, I thank her every day for, you know, transforming me into a better person, into a wiser person, a pa more patient person, because, again, I feel like without her, it would never have happened. Um, and, of course, years later, her sister came, Kimora, my, uh, <laughs> my firecracker. <laughs> if you follow me on Instagram and you see any of my posts about her, then you already know why I'm laughing. <laughs> but yeah, she was a very special child. Um, I tell people this all the time. She was born with her eyes wide open, like literally as she was head first into this world. She had both her eyes wide open. She didn't cry at first when she first came out. She kind of just looked around very silently and then cried. So I already kind of knew from the jump that yeah, you're going to be a my special baby. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, a few years later after that, uh, Junior came. So that rounds out my troops. So, and I guess raising them has been very interesting. Um, just because it made me realize too that personality really is driven from the soul. Um, you can't really, well, in some instances, you can't, uh, uh, teach personality but you can instill certain values that can mold personalities but honestly i raise my kids all the same and they each one of those each all of them have a different personality um michaela is my i'll call it my wallflower um she's my creative soul my uh my future youtuber um and um she's just very in touch with her feelings um, positively and negatively. 
Um, <laughs> oh gosh, she has some tantrums. But um, and of course, yeah, Kamora's my firecracker, my go-to. Um, she doesn't shy from nothing. She will try anything. Has no fear. Um, and very oftentimes tests my limits. <laughs> and Junior, I mean, he just turned one. His personality is just now starting to come out. Um, to which case is a weird mix of him being very, very chill in most instances. And then also a little bit of his sister rubbing off because he is really down to <laughs> start tussling if he has to. So it's going to be interesting seeing how he kind of still grows and develops. And, you know, between me, his mother, and just watching his siblings, how he starts to develop. But as also a African-American man, I... F- weirdly enough every day wake up and pray over my kids because the world that we live in is very cruel and the world we live in is very cruel for people of our skin color Um, being African American comes with a lot and I mean a lot of heaviness to it Um, dealing with prejudices, dealing with racism dealing with unfair treatment in both workplace and just society period the rise of police brutality the rise of uh crime and drugs in our neighborhoods it's 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 treacherous it's a treacherous time and the most that i can try to do is prepare my children to navigate themselves through it um and it's kind of being very straightforward. And I think that's one of the differences also with black fatherhood is that we have to kind of give our kids the hard truth a lot sooner than other parents of different ethnicities would. Um, you know, because it is to be very frank. Uh, little Timmy can grow up with, you know, thinking the world is sunshine and rainbows well up until he goes to college like if his parents are set up in that manner he will never know any sort of hardship in his life um and that's just because you know he has the advantages of his ethnicity but my son my daughters aren't going to grow up with that luxury um they're going to get hit with a lot of that treacherousness in the world a lot sooner than little timmy would um they're going to deal with racism and that's going to be even when they get to school just because some of these parents out there teach their kids very hateful rhetoric um the kids will mimic that so they can get it as early as you know school so teaching them how to navigate themselves in you know situations of dealing with uh hateful uh, classmates even learning how to deal with hateful teachers um and then, you know, teaching them how to navigate themselves in, you know, interactions in anywhere. Um, you know, kids by nature don't have hatefulness in them. Hatefulness is something that's instilled. Um, it's something that you have to plant into the mind of a child because by nature, they're very ignorant of any of that in life. So kids will grow up, you know, being very loving towards each other. You know, no matter what the race is, they'll make friends, they'll laugh, they'll play because their commonality um, is very pure. It's, hey, do you like, you know, do you like watching Paw Patrol? Yeah, I like watching Paw Patrol. It's cool. Now they're friends. But when they start 
you know, learning more about the world, more about society, its differences, its hatred, um, then that's when they become, you know, a little bit more jaded about certain things. So you kind of have to prepare your kids a little bit early for that. Again, because of the way certain parents raise their kids with that hatefulness, you have to teach them to identify it very quickly. Like, hey, discern whether or not this person has any sort of malicious intent towards you. Um, and then just being mindful of how to conduct yourselves. Never letting them get you out of your emotions. Never letting them put you in compromising situations. And just, you know, having a mindfulness of yourself. Um, so I think that's something that I always want to try to make sure my children understand. Granted, I also will strive to do my best to keep those hardships from their purview. If I can raise them a little bit longer in life without having to actually have to deal with that, then I'm going to. But ultimately, when push comes to shove, if they get into those situations, then I'm going to have to give them the real deal. And that's just, again, something that that black fatherhood kind of is necessary for. Um, and again, I don't want to give that rhetoric that that's how it's going to always be. You know, hopefully in life we may actually come to the better understanding that we're all equal as human beings, um, regardless of your race, religion creeds what have you you deserve respect love um and just the genuine respect and understanding of being a living breathing human being um, so hopefully we can cross that bridge and our kids won't have to grow up knowing the hard truths very early in life but we'll see <laughs> um but one of the things that made me even decide to do this topic really isn't it just to give a perspective about myself um because i mean black fatherhood means a lot of things to different people again some people may not even know the distinct difference between fatherhood and black fatherhood so i wasn't going to really delve too much into that just kind of give a kind of a little bit of a background of my mindset on it but the hard topic that I want to talk about when it comes to black fatherhood is why there is such a startling amount of black men who do not raise their kids. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Got a lot of these dudes out here living fast, moving free. They meet a shorty. They hook up. You know, whether it's a one-night stand or if it's developing feelings, a situationship, whatever you want to call it, all right? And as we all know, you know, as adults out here, the byproduct of having sex is getting a kid. It's basic arithmetic. And startlingly, well, not startlingly because, uh, can't pronounce that word right shockingly we'll use that word <laughs> shockingly but not really shockingly but shockingly um a lot of black men do not raise rise up to the occasion um of raising the soon-to-be child and black men we gotta do better 
we have to do better. Um, not only is the black woman uh, is being very much targeted out here in society, um, weirdly enough, black men are some of the biggest uh, proponents to target black women. So not only are they being broken down on multiple sides, but they have to fight so much hardships, so much uh, unfairness, whether that's in the workplace, household, what have you, um, and then try to maintain some sense of sanity and rationality and all of that. Don't know who could do that because, you know, the average person, the average man will probably break under the conditions that a black woman has to deal with. But, uh, man, like the goddesses, they are, they strive. They continue to push forward in spite of so much hardship. But I feel like the last thing that the black woman needs is the black man to skirt his responsibilities when they both decided to have sex and had a baby behind it because they were, you know, unprotected. But in the first mindset that this dude has is, <laughs> not me, I'm bouncing. Like, I don't, I just don't get it. I don't get it. And maybe it may take, you know, a, you know, a man who had that same situation to enlighten me. But I can't find myself laying down with a woman to have sex with her. You know, to have that level of intimacy. But I think it's too much to help raise the child that we made together. It's just, it don't make no sense. Like, how could you look at your child, your offspring, the byproduct of you, and not want to do right by that child? How can you wake up every day and, like, just don't give two fucks about your child in any fashion? You don't call you don't visit, you don't provide anything, and you like you literally can just be out here and feel good about yourself for it. Like I don't understand. Now I will say there are large, well not large, but there's probably a demographic out there of men who want to be in their child's life, but because of the situation with the mother, it's not as easy. To which case, ma'am, if you want to see your son, let him see his son, um, or just our daughter, whoever the child may be, just. Give them the opportunity to try. I'm not saying that you have to pull full trust in them, especially if the past isn't, you know, showing any sign of stability. Then, grant, you know, try with certain limiters in place. But if he wants to make an effort, let him make an effort. But the majority of men don't give a fuck. And that's very sad. And it's very... It's just... This is very disgusting. I mean, I don't know where else to put it. Um, this may sound like I'm trying to harp down on men, but I'm not. If you call yourself a man, then as a man, you own up to your responsibilities. And that child is one of your responsibilities, if not the most important. Regardless of what situation happens between you and the mother, that's irrelevant. Once that child comes into this world, that needs to be your priority. Because they didn't ask for birth. They didn't ask for life. Again, it's a byproduct of your decision and the mother's. 
So why not be a part of that child's life? Why not try to nurture that child? Why not try to teach that child? Even if you don't think you may have anything to offer to them, you don't know that. Children will literally elevate you to be the best version of yourself that you can possibly be. And I know a lot of people can attest to it. Like before they had their child, they weren't going anywhere. They were aimless like I was. But when I had my daughter, I had a full rush of, I need to go ahead and get my shit together. I need to go ahead and prepare a good life for her. I want to make sure she has the best. Like, I want that for you. And the fact that there's some men who don't have that sense of urgency, mind-boggling. Maybe you were raised in a household where your dad wasn't present. Cool. I always believe that you can either be the example or you can try to make yourself the exception. And I feel like if you want to be the example and do better, that's what you need to strive for. But a lot of times men will make excuses to try to be the exception. Oh, well, I can't do that because me and the mom ain't cool. Oh, I can't do that because I don't live close by. Oh, I can't do that because I'm in between, you know, hard spot right now. To me, I feel like those are just excuses. No matter what circumstances you are in, no matter how hard or impossible you think it is, there's always an answer to it. There's always a way out of it as long as you continue to try. The moment you make excuses and give up, then there's nothing that you're going to do. I just feel like with the state of the black community, black men, black fathers need to step up more to the plate. They need to be more active in their children's lives. You need to be more active in your child's life. If you listen to this right now and you are a black father who has not seen their child in, let's say, a week, change that today. Set up a schedule with the mother. Go visit your child. Spend time with them. Learn about them. Some men out there don't even know <laughs> what medications your child takes, if they take any. Don't even know what their favorite color is, their favorite bedtime story, favorite TV show, their favorite hobbies or activities. You know nothing about your child. Virtually a stranger. And if you actually are set up like that, and that's comfortable for you, you're lost cause. Black men, we have to do better we have to do better we have to raise these black kids we have to prepare them for the harshness of the world while at the same time providing all the love all the nurturing that they need because I do believe that all black kids need love from their black fathers black, black men you need to learn how to love your children love them for who they are Love them for the potential that they have and who they can be. Regardless of what they may want to do in life or who they may believe they are in life. Love your children unconditionally. Hug your child every day. Kiss them on the forehead. Say I love you. Every night when they go to bed, pray over your children. Every morning they wake up and you're getting ready for school, pray over your kids before they leave the house. We all see the news. You all see the state of the world right now. It's 
again, it's treacherous. And every day your child has to go out into that world. So why not give them the tools, give them the yearn, the, 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 the learning, the nurturing, give them everything they need so that way they can be the safest and prosperous individuals that you want them to be. But again, this isn't for me to point a finger at anybody in particular. This isn't for me to harp down on one demographic or the other. Everybody has a part to play in. Black fathers play your parts. But I'm going to leave it here. I feel like I have rambled on long enough. And hopefully this... uh, inaugural episode will continue to be future episodes again i'm going to touch on different topics um different points of discussions just giving my ideas and of course giving you my conscious thought on them so again feel free to get me at the instagram page uh the conscious thought dot pod um or if you want to hit me up on my personal page it's um your boy big mike and thank you for being a part of the Conscious Thought Podcast.